Hello, good evening everybody. It's great to be here on such a sunny day. I'm really hoping that the internet doesn't um, die of heat exhaustion like it's been doing to me all day, but I am thrilled to be here tonight on Wild Ginger Running with coach and physio Tim Piggott from HP3. Hello Tim. Hi, good to see you again. Um, so uh, Tim is a friend of the channel. He's um, He's done various gear reviews for us and training advice, and we've interviewed him in the past as well. Um, so I will put links to his previous uh, films in the description below. So if you want to hear more from Tim, then just click on the show notes or the film description below. Um, so I'll just fill you in why we're talking to Tim tonight. So um, he's just won the Summer Spine Challenger, which is 110 miles along the Pennine Way. Big round of applause. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> and. Um, and the reason that this is such an incredible, it's incredible anyway, this achievement, um, but it makes it even more special because when Tim was 20, which I'm not sure how long ago that is, I'm sure he'll put us in, yeah. <laughs> um, he was in a car crash that broke bones, it left him on life support for five days, he had multiple operations, and he was told at one point that he may never run again. Um, and then he managed to come back from from that a while ago and he won first place in 23 hours three minutes and 22 seconds the time on the watch not sure what the official time is yet but i'm sure he'll fill us in later which is 50 minutes off the course record so congratulations tim how did it make you yes. feel crossing that finish line with everything you've come through yeah that was a that was a very special race um and it was just essentially the, the perfect perfect race everything had just gone as I would have wanted during that day and, and night, obviously. Um, the build-up hadn't been perfect. I'd been ill sort of a couple of weeks beforehand, um, but everything just came good on the day. Um, and you, know, you just couldn't better that, that experience. Um, running, knowing that the course record was within my grasp and, and there's something horrendous had gone wrong. Um, and I didn't quite know where the other Tim, who was in second place, was, um, but I was fairly fairly confident in those last few miles that the wind was was also there. Um, so yeah, just a, a really really special day. Uh, I mean, the spine, the bit, obviously the full spine is legendary, but even the Challenger is a, uh, a very uh, well respected race in itself. So um, it was a, a race that I'd I'd sort of sort of mould the idea of could I could I actually win this? Is that actually within my grasp and it was something that had been discussed between myself and um, some friends uh, it's a good year or so prior and it, it was put down was like yeah this is this is doable but of course it's how that everything comes together and it, yeah it was one of those just perfect perfect days yeah and it was so well deserved as well after everything you've been through and i read your blog you've done a really extensive blog about this which you can find on hp3 coaching website if you just click on the resources section and then the blog section it's a couple of posts down um so on reading your blog it was very clear as you said that you've done a lot of prep for this race so you've done like wrecking you did pace testing <clears> on those wreckies you did shoe testing you did a whole nother 100 miler just to check you could run 100 miles you yeah. did fuel testing you did gear it you did like lightweight gear and you put it all in spreadsheet and you weighed it all etc yeah. it sounds oh, insane <laughs> yeah you totally yeah. geeked out on that you watched videos of the Pennine way you spoke to past runners including tom hollins who you coach tom hollins yeah. has won the winter 
by Mace before, hasn't he? Um, so you and the challenger as well. And the challenger. Yeah, yeah. amazing athlete. Um, I just was wondering, as I was reading all that, I was like, as a mum myself, and I know you're a dad to two young mm. children, and you've got like HP3 coaching and physioing and everything, how mm. on earth did you make time for that with having two kids in a full-time job? I don't have a social life. <laughs> you watch um, zero Netflix for you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's, it's one of those where I wrote that blog and really try to explain how you know I am just your average runner I'm not some elite athlete to be put on a pedestal I'm just like everybody else out there so all the people that are watching your show right now you know I've, I've been like you and I am like you there's nothing special about me but what I hope to show is that you know if you set yourself a, a huge target like that and I set myself a target of you know I want to try and win this and I think even breaking the course record is within my grasp but that was still a huge task but if you break it down and you you work through all those different processes anything is possible so that's why I wanted to kind of write that that blog in in that way so just showing all the different processes you you work towards but this was a this was a long build this was a um, I mean, really, the, you know, the, the race was entered um, last year. It was um, sort of September I, I entered it. Um, but even prior to that, I'd already been... I mean, I live almost on the Pennine Way anyway, so I know sections of the course. But I've been running up and down the Pennine Way thinking, OK, you know, in a year or two, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to race this. You know, what would it be like? So it's been a long, long build-up. I mean, you mentioned I'd run 100, I'd run 100 miles in preparation. Um, that's not a normal training program to go and run 100 miles as part of a 100-mile training program. It just happened to be I, I did another race in January. Um, the Lady Anne Way um, advertised at 100 miles, but actually it was 98 miles. But let's not worry about that. <laughs> well, you probably but, meandered a yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> there was probably a bit of walking to register and all that. Yeah, you had to walk back to the car at the end. The, there was no walking at the end of that one. <laughs> um, I did that one, as you say, just to see if I could run 100 miles because actually in the September I DNF'd another 100. I, I DNF'd at uh, Ultra Tour Monte Rosa, um, I DNF'd at mile 86. So I needed to kind of get over that DNF and just have a, a successful finish. Um, and I tested a lot of my ideas around, you know, how to do well at 100. And you know, the main thing that really stood out was you've got to wreck it. You've got to know every little twist and turn of that course um so and that's what i did for for the spine and you know talking to others and, and reading other people's race reports afterwards you know the, the things that maybe didn't go quite so well for them i think largely was down to just not knowing the course and and making those little errors um i mean i hold my hand up myself and andy we we were chatting away at one point and we did actually miss a turn and we went couple of meters the wrong way but we quickly realized um, that was us just chatting away too much and, and not paying attention to oh, the race. I'm just we... glad that you had like the breath and the energy to chat I think that's that makes miles just go like that doesn't it when you're chatting oh, to someone yeah yeah it's again you know saying it was one of those just perfect days but it was you know it was a, a run in the hills with mates mm. uh, you know, I was I was running with with Andy Morley who I, I coach as well he's, you know he's a mate um, and we ran a good section of the race together. Um, I had Joe Horn as well, who was with us for the, the first section. Um, and, you know, 
Ian Cox as well. So we had, you know, good mates and, and part of the uh, team HP3 athletes. But it was, it was a, a run of the hills with mates. And, and then I kind of got anti- antisocial and pulled the head. <laughs> and you forgo, forgo a bacon butty whilst your teammate yeah. had a bacon butty. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was a sort of tactical decision. Yeah, the tactical bacon butty. <laughs> having solid food at that point. Yeah. Um, whereas Andy did decide to go for the solid food option. But, but um, you know, we know from practice that he, he can handle solid food better. I know from practice that I don't handle solid food as well. Um, so although I'd I'd paid for my bacon butty, I decided not to eat it. <laughs> yeah, good move. <laughs> it's yeah. a good move. And um, I just want to let you know that um, we have actually got somebody else who did the Spine Challenger watching. Um, I all. interviewed Hannah, um, Hannah Basley. Um, I interviewed her last month. Um, mm. She's a mum of two as well. Um, yep. Uh, two girls and uh, and she said uh, she said she's here tonight she says evening I was almost at the opposite end of the challenger field to Tim amazing result um, I think anyone who completes it is an absolute legend absolutely. so there's so, not many people out there that can run over 100 miles yeah yeah it's just amazing crazy distance um, and um, Hannah's got a question that we'll ask you later on about nutrition mm. um, and, and I just wanted to just say that Lloyd um, wanted to say something as well Lloyd Watkin, one of my patrons, he said he's got his first 100 mile on Saturday so he's going to find this really interesting to find out all the things he's done wrong in the lead up <laughs> so a little bit late for poor Lloyd but um, I believe you do have to do one in, in training for your real one where you're going to break the course record Lloyd so it's just, a, it's just all training, don't worry um, we've also got Andrew you're watching she says hello to McClare and David Alonso from Quebec if you're watching live then do um, type in the chat box and ask Tim any questions um, and just send a general shout out if you're enjoying the show um, so yeah I just wanted to start off I just I'll just go through things in the same way that you did in your blog if that's okay because it seemed like a yeah. nice your logical way of like approaching things like, I noticed that training came quite far far down like first you sorted out all your gear and your nutrition and stuff and I thought that was really interesting so mm. so first of all you had to find the right shoe um, uh, yeah so how important is the right shoe on a hundred milers I'm guessing very <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, my wife thinks I have a problem when it comes to shoes. Oh, you should see behind me. I've got 14 yeah. pairs of shoes. <laughs> I, I think this is a, a problem that many of us can relate to, isn't it? Um, in terms of our maybe obsession with, with buying shoes. But do you know what? I've... I still haven't found the perfect one. The perfect trail shoe. It's a it's a, a hybrid of or like a couple of shoes or three shoes that I want. I, I think that custom shoes need to happen. Yeah, I, and I think you know there are some sort of. Uh, well, Solomon certainly had their custom shoe option a while back. I'm not sure if that's still going. Yeah, um, I don't know much about it. No, it was it was a little while ago. But yeah, I mean, trying to find the right shoe. Um, it's finding something for the right terrain. That, that's the really tricky thing. Um, and obviously what's going to be comfortable for you. So when it comes to finding the right footwear, I mean, we've talked about this on, on other kind of um, reviews and things like that. But when it comes to the sort of technology and some of the stuff that the marketing companies throw at you, you know, motion control, stability, you know, these type of things. The main thing is 
when you put the shoe on, is it comfortable? That's really what matters. Um, and not worrying about whether it's um, whether you're minimalist or maximalist or all this type of stuff. It depends on what's right for your foot. So you just need to try things on and, and see what works for you. Um, in terms of finding the right shoe for this race, the spine has a little bit of almost everything on it in terms of it's got some sort of quite rough technical trail um certainly at the beginning um you've got running over the, the slabs the sort of the paving slabs um you've got boggy sections of moorland you've got running through fields you've got little bits of road as well um so you've got a, basically a bit of everything so you, i needed a shoe that was going to be cushioned enough for the hard stuff but give me enough grip and stability on the, the technical. Um, and yeah, ended up um, trialing some Scarpa shoes um, and basically tried on their one of their brand new ones, the Kima, um, Golden Gate Kimas. And it was just the perfect shoe for me. Um, good bit of cushioning, nice wide toe box, good rubber compound for good grip. Um, yeah, it's their kind of top end. It's got the carbon plate for a bit of extra spring wow. in it. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's an absolutely brilliant pair, of, brilliant pair of shoes. Um, cool. I'd, again, I tested that in in different um, different runs. Um, I've done a uh, a run in the the legs. I did legs one, two, and three of the Bob Graham when I was supporting Joe Meek on her Bob Graham round. Um, I don't know if you've interviewed her yet. You, you should do that. I should, shouldn't I? I've definitely yeah, spoken to her in the past. I've interviewed her for Trail Running Magazine, that's for yeah. sure. I know her, and I saw her at the UTMB 2019 as mm. well. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it would be lovely to interview her. Yeah, She's so great. But, yeah, so, you know, I, I put the shoes to the paces. I did a good sort of 100, 150 miles, and then knew they were going to be good. Um, and they did, you know, they, they absolutely did the job. Um, so it's about you've got to find what's going to work for you you know some people like less cushioning more ground feel um, i need a bit more cushioning because i haven't got that spring and shock absorbance in my legs because they're full of metal um, so i need those more cushioned shoes but obviously if you go too cushioned you sometimes lose stability uh, on the technical ground um, whereas these uh, the, the scarpa kemas are uh, a little bit more lower to the ground, so you've got better stability, but you've still got some really good cushioning. So, yeah, they were a fantastic pair of shoes. Cool. Uh, I'll have to check them out. I've got a pair of their Golden Gate ATRs. Um, yeah. And I found them too stiff and very cushioned. I can't feel anything underfoot. So I think the keyless sound a lot better for trail running. Um, they're supposed yeah. to be like a road to trail shoe, so I'm... They are. I've got a pair as well. Um, I feel like they're more roady. Um, they, I mean, they are. They are very much your kind of beginner road onto a little bit of trail um so i've got a pair of those for when i'm running down the roads onto maybe the canal yeah canal path and i'm just doing long easy runs on that yeah. uh, i just want a bit of extra cushioning because my feet are battered yeah. for something else yeah well we should talk about why you need um you know a bit of extra support and like your lack of tendons in your ankles so i think this is a really good point to like mention what happened with the car crash yeah. Um, and how it how it beat you up and, and when it was and how long it took you to get back from it. So, 
yeah, you were saying about you didn't know quite how many years ago it was. So, uh, <laughs> I, well, yeah. you're clearly only 21 now, so, but it can't have been last year. I wish. I, I've, um, I've just had another birthday, so I'm, I'm now 42. Although, um, as you can maybe tell from my voice, I'm a little bit croaky because I've got COVID at the moment. Oh, no. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm skipping this birthday. I don't think the last birthday counted. Cause I had <laughs> uh, yeah. But yes, that was 22 years ago, uh, so I'm 42 now. Um, and yeah, as you kind of said at the beginning there, I was um, driving on a straight old Roman road, going to the top of a blind summit and another car on the wrong side of the road and took me out. Oh, uh, that just, is just so like <clears throat> tragic, yeah. isn't it? Well, not tragic because you're here to tell the tale, but like, why do people do that? It just made me so annoyed when I read that on your blog. Yeah, you know, the other guy's just lapse of concentration. and that lapse of concentration had severe consequences. Yeah. 30 seconds either way, would have got away with it, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I broke my left tib and fib, so my lower leg, um, broke my right femur, so my right thigh, um, smashed my pelvis into multiple pieces, uh, right hemi-C for anybody medical. Uh, I broke various ribs, um, broke my, uh, my wrist, my, my radius, um, dislocated my wrist as well. I degloved my elbow, so ripped all the flesh off my elbow oh my uh, and broke my jaw. Um, so all sort of fairly, fairly major fractures. Um, and you look, looking at you, you wouldn't even know. Like there doesn't seem to be any visible anything on you. Uh, I've got a little scar there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, I mean, that's why I, I, I wobble when I when I walk. I limp when I walk. Oh, um, I haven't noticed that either. <laughs> so I'm pictures of me. I'm sort of I'm off to one side. <laughs> um, but yeah. So. You know, the car was a, an utter mess. So, you know, you hear about the kind of golden hour to get somebody into hospital. Yeah. Uh, it took them two hours to actually cut me out of the car. Uh, oh, and then get to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, but the initial emergency surgery kind of put me vaguely back into one piece again. Um, but the problem with that that much trauma is obviously there's a lot of, lot of bleeding, internal bleeding. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have any real external wounds. So all that blood basically just filled up my cavities uh, and ended up sort of filling my lungs with fluid. So I ended up with what's called ARDS, uh, Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome. So that's what put me on life support for, for five days. Yeah. Uh, and back then, it was something that really wasn't survivable. Oh, um, and the hospital I was in didn't really have the resources. Um, but thankfully, I, I came through. I mean, I was... Wow. I was very, very fit at the time, um, and it was quite clearly that level of fitness that I had and uh, that, that got me through. Um, yeah. Do you so, mind if I just put a picture up of your blog? Yeah. I've just taken a picture from your blog of yeah. of you in that hospital bed and <clears throat> and the car. Like, do you yeah. do you do you get any sort of like emotionally? Is it is it a difficult thing to talk about, or are you just like super happy that? you actually survived. I'm just showing a picture of you wired yeah. up in all the bed and then there's the yeah. car which is just completely that you can vaguely work out that it's a car but it's just yeah. really crumpled at the front there. Thank goodness See for crumpled zones. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> um, ooh, not sure. Oh, I, I don't get overly emotional about it. Um, this, this far down the line it was almost like a movie I saw once upon a time. It's, uh, yeah, I was, I'm quite good at, yeah, um, compartmentalising it or yeah, yeah just, just going yeah, yeah that happened 
I'm alive still. Uh, but it was, again, it was the sort of training that I had at the time. Um, it was quite simply a case of, you know, once once I was aware enough to know what was happening, it was a case of, right, what do we need to do to get on with it? And yeah. it, was, it was always a case of looking forward, not looking back. Uh, we, all have, we all have down days, we all have blue days and um, feel sorry for ourselves. But, you know, on the whole, it's look forward and... Again, it was just that attitude right from the get-go, which was always look forward, you know, push forward, uh, and that's I think again what what got me through and got me out into the the kind of rehab that then resulted in this. And it's um, yeah. that again the training that I've had that you just don't give up. Yeah. You, so yeah. you did they say at first so first of all they didn't think you were going to actually live and then it did it become you might not walk again and then did it become you might not run again was it like that or how did it go <coughs> no it was um i mean yeah when i when i first came round from the the accident itself so i was knocked unconscious obviously initially but then came round fairly quickly <coughs> um and i had so i was in the the reserves, the TA at the time, so I had sort of reasonable um, sort of combat medic uh, knowledge, uh, and I did a quick self-assessment and realised I was in a very, very, very poor state, um, and I needed more than just a, um, a paramedic to, to keep me alive, um, and I was about 10 minutes from where, where my parents were, or my parents are, which was where I was at the time. Uh, and my dad's a, a doctor, or well, he was a doctor, he's retired now. Um, but he used to do the emergency cover for equestrian events. <clears throat> uh, and I knew that in the back of his car was full resus equipment. Wow. Um, so I got I got the chat to the person who pulled up behind, um, behind the accident to actually phone my dad, <gasps> but just say, there's a car crash up the road, bring all your kit. Um, so he rocks up, not even knowing it's me. Oh my god! Uh, and you had the presence of mind to not tell him it was you, so that he wouldn't like oh, yeah. speed on the way and like get into an accident himself. Wow! Yeah. Um, but then it was a case of obviously it was taking a long time to cut me out, and it was a case of yeah, this probably isn't going to go the right way. So I was actually giving my dad messages to pass on to people. Oh my god! Uh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I have to leave the room. <laughs> um, not had a lot of sleep lately. <laughs> That's all right. Emotional uh, story. Uh, but anyway, um, and then yeah, obviously, uh, intensive care and life support wasn't particularly fun. Um, but you know, once you're out of that, it was a case of you just got to look forward. You just got to um, work out what the rehab is and, and move on from there. Really. Um, no, I was never. I was, I was never told I wouldn't walk again. But I was certainly told that I wouldn't run again. Uh, I was told that my physiotherapy career would be over, I should just get a desk job um, and all this kind of stuff. Um, so again, I paid no attention to that at <laughs> I don't know why they bother telling people these things. Is it to make them more determined to get better and go, ah, I've proved you wrong? Do you think there's a bit of reverse psychology in it, maybe? Possibly. <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah. But yeah, so... Um, where have we got to with that, that story? Yeah so, yeah, so it took you like six months to... Yeah. And well, no more than that. So I was in wheelchair for various surgeries. Well, yeah, so obviously I had um, all the kind of initial surgery just to be dying that night. Um, but then, um, okay, the, the the pelvic trauma was was such that the initial fixation they put a big frame, uh, like an external frame, to hold me in place called an expert. Um, <clears throat> but because I was 
leaking fluid everywhere from these wounds. Uh, they had to tear that off. So I had an un unstable pelvic fracture for two weeks because um, I wasn't safe enough to go back into theatre. I was too unwell uh, for more surgery um, and I was too unwell to be transferred to another hospital. So I was just left with a, an unstable pelvic fracture for, for two weeks uh, until I was medically fit enough to then be transferred to the John Radcliffe in, in Oxford for specialist surgery. Um, so then, yeah, managed to get transferred over there uh, and a, a chap called Peter Warlock, um, I believe he's retired now, um, he put my pelvis back together again as, as best that he could. Um, and it was at that stage I then had the plastic surgery to reconstruct my elbow. Uh, and they'd also, I'd also, as I mentioned, I broke my jaw, but they didn't realise that at the time. It was a, obviously your jaw hanging off is the least to be worried when you're bleeding out from everywhere. Um, so then had my jaw put back together again um, at John Radcliffe. Um, and then, yeah, obviously rehab from there. So I was in a wheelchair. Because obviously if you've got two broken legs and a broken arm, you can't even use crutches. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so in a wheelchair for the best part of six months uh, and then crutches for another sort of six months or so. Um, but then I was getting problems with some of the metal work. So I then had the, the metal work taken out of my left leg um, and that then settled back down again. But my right femur, my right thigh, uh, because of the nature of that fracture, it didn't heal. Um, so it just wasn't wasn't healing. So I had more surgery um, to take some of the what's called the locking screws out, so the things sort of holding you together to allow it all just to compress. So that then allowed the bone to heal. But of course, I was now left with a, a leg that was a lot shorter, and it was also twisted. Um, so I couldn't I couldn't run. I couldn't even ride a bike. Um, it was yeah, not not good. Um, so looking at options about what to do about this short leg. Obviously, what I wanted was to break the leg again and, and stretch it out. Obviously. Uh, obviously. Um, but went to, I think, well, I spoke to seven surgeons. Five said, don't do it. It won't work. One said, I've never done that surgery, but I'll give it a go. Oh, okay. And the other one was, you know, I've, I've done this. It might work. We'll try if you want. Wow. So I went with him. Um, and that happened to be Peter Warlock again, who was the guy who put my pelvis back together. Wow. Um, and it um, worked? Well, to be fair to the people that said it wouldn't work, it kind of didn't because it didn't heal again. Um, so I then had more surgical bone grafts to get the femur to heal. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so another nine months down the line, uh, I've then got a, a right leg, which is still shorter than it was but it was longer than it used to be, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, was it, are we talking like an inch or a centimetre? So I'm probably about a centimetre, centimetre and a half, more like a centimetre and a half, shorter than my left leg. Yeah. My left leg is also shorter at the shin than it used to be and also a bit twisted, but oh. that's less of a problem. So overall, I'm significantly shorter than I was. And those who know me, I'm not tall at the best. <laughs> but you're here. Uh, do you know what? I've never noticed that you're wonky at all because you came on the Bridgedale trail, sh trail running shoot in 2020 mm. and I took loads of photos of you leaping around and running and mm. I never even noticed. So they did a great job. And you're here and you yep. won the summer spine race, which That's is fantastic. Right. That's right. So, yeah, just, you know, long rehab and... Uh, you know, I did hydrotherapy, turned into swimming, riding an exercise bike, and then bought a road bike. That did turn into triathlon. Um, you know, I, I, I still clearly remember the first time I was 
and they, I was allowed to then try running again and I ran for 30 seconds on the treadmill um, and it was just amazing I found my mother in tears you know yeah. I can run it's, it's possible uh, <laughs> that's so good and, uh, a decade later two decades later um, you know I'm, I'm now sort of podiums and all the rest of it yeah. so it's a long journey but it's doable do you think you would have worked hard anyway like you've put in a lot of effort to achieve every win and every podium place that you've got anyway do you think this has made you work even even more determined do you think you would have still got those type of podiums if you hadn't had that accident well there's the million dollar question isn't it um yeah obviously because you were quite dedicated experience. beforehand weren't you you were quite into your fitness and you loved yeah loads of different sports, karate, like martial arts and um, yeah. running and swimming, climbing trees, everything. Yeah, so you know, I'd, uh, I was always pushing myself and um, you know, I always wanted to kind of explore my limits. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's obviously a key part of my personality. Um, but has this, you know, driven me further? Yeah, maybe. maybe. I think it's too hard to say. The easy answer is yes, of course, it's made me work harder because you realise life is short. Um, and it is, and, and that's very true. But there's obviously got to be a part of your, your underpinning personality that, that drives that as well. It's not as simple as just if you have an experience like this, then you're going to be you know, more determined than ever. Uh, it's not quite as cut and dry as that. Yeah. But, well, um, you've made everybody um, very impressed. Um, Andrea says, you're not the only one going to cry, Claire. <laughs> um, so we're, we've all got tissues here. Um, and um, yeah, we've, we've got quite a few questions as well. Um, so um, we'll full it forwards now again, but yep. <laughs> to segue again to back to the spine race, because we've got a few questions around nutrition. And I know this was the next thing that you talked about in your blog anyway, so <laughs> it seems good to mention it now. Um, so we have got a question um, from uh, Hannah um, yep. Basley. Um, she's Hannah Neal on Facebook, but this is Hannah mm -hmm. Basley, who also did the Spine Challenger. And she says um, uh, she didn't see you, uh, you were at the front. Um, she has a question about nutrition. Um, she said, I found it really difficult to keep fueling over the latter stages of the Challenger, despite lots of varied fuel on me. Um, I think the sleep dep deprivation probably played a part and I probably didn't take on enough fluids. So the wheels pretty much fell off by the end. Um, she, she says, I might have answered my own question. <laughs> Different sleep strategy, keep taking on fluids, but any tips? Um, and there's also somebody watching live here as well um, called David Alonso and he says he's going to be running his first trail ultra, um, a, a first 60k sorry, um, the mm -hmm. ultra trail de chic shock which sounds really cool and I think you should probably run that in crocs like ultra trail de chic shock in croc. Um, he says any advice, nutrition, shoes, we've covered the shoes um, yeah. and he says it's in Quebec um, in Canada so okay, cool. um, 10,000 feet of elevation gain so yeah so basically people want to know about yes. nutrition mm, okay. in 100 mile races and yeah. any kind of ultra um, you got to you got to test so in the same way that you know I tested lots and lots of different shoes I tested lots of different nutrition strategies um, I mean nutrition is a you know utterly essential part of your preparation and um, key determinant to your success at a 
running an ultramarathon. Um, one of the main reasons why people fail to finish an ultramarathon is often nausea or GI distress or you know inability to eat or drink, uh, and that just ends your race. You know, if you can't get that nutrition on board, then it's it's game over. So, learning what works for you um, is is crucial for that success, and you've got to test it in in the type of uh, environment. Um, you know, if you if you're starting at at night time, for example, um, you've got to work out will your will your stomach accept food at two o'clock in the morning because it's not used to doing that, is it? Um, as uh, um, so, you know, you've got to kind of put that into practice. You've got to go and do some night runs and actually train yourself. Um, you can train the stomachs in the same way that you train your heart and your lungs and your muscles. You can train your stomach, and you can train it to be able to take more and more calories. Um, so if you mix up the sort of glucose and fructose mix, you can you can train it to take on more. So we used to think um, that we could maybe manage 60 grams of carbs an hour. Well, studies have shown that actually you can take up to 120 grams of carbs an hour if you train yourself for that. Um, now, that particular study was based on a mountain marathon, so a shorter duration than obviously the ultras that we're talking about. Um, so maybe 120 grams is maybe a little bit more than realistic, um, but certainly you want to be training yourself to take more than 60 grams an hour. Um, and that just comes with practice and you can teach your stomach to be able to tolerate more and more food, essentially. Um, now where that, that calorie comes from will vary from individual to individual. Um, so I mentioned Andy Morley who uh, came in third place you know, his fueling strategy, uh, a key part of that was um, a mixed bag of hula hoops. Um, and obviously he had his bacon butties and, and so on and so forth. I can't tolerate that kind of solids. So mine was mostly drink, gels, uh, supernatural fuel pouches, and a couple of cereal bars. Uh, and I had a little bit of saurine at the aid station. Or a banana as well. Um, and that was it. Uh, otherwise, it was just drinking gel. So I, I can't tolerate much in the way of big solid stuff. Mm -hmm. It needs to be very much more digestible. Um, obviously, different ultras will have different amounts of support. So the spine, you basically got one checkpoint for the, the spine challenger. Yeah. Uh, there's another couple of extra water. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got to carry a lot. Um, so you know, trying to then refill with maybe tailwind powders or things like that becomes very, very difficult. So you've got to go with, with other other nutrition uh, options. But of course, a race that has lots and lots of aid stations <clears throat> where maybe you can you know, refill with you know, tailwind sachets or other kind of sports drink sachets, you know, that might be far more doable. Um, some might be offering you know, aid stations with, with good food every, you know, 10k, 10 miles, whatever it might be. So again, you don't need to carry too much with you and you've got a good variety of stuff. But of course, if there isn't that, then you've got to work out what you can carry. But of course, the more you carry, the heavier pack. And then that starts to impact on, again, your performance because the energy expenditure of actually carrying all of this food. So that sort of comes into it as well. Um, on a personal level, um, I mentioned already some supernatural fuel pouches. 
Um, so I actually did a review for your channel on, on these pouches. So yes. maybe go back and, and look I at that on. Try to link like, to it now. Yeah, put the link time down. Um, and they're, they're brilliant because they are real food, sort of seeds and, and fruit um, and some vegetables and some of them that are blended up. So you're squeezing it out of a pouch. It's, it's basically like baby food. So it's got a bit of texture to it, a little bit of, you can almost chew it, but you don't need to. Um, so something I find is you know, I'll, I, I prefer to race on, on just really drink and gels and that really simple, easy um, to swallow energy, which keeps the energy levels up. But I then get a little bit hungry. My stomach just needs something a little bit solid. Um, and I find those supernatural fuel pouches just fill that gap. They just give me that little bit of solid, but they're not so sort of complicated for my gut to deal with that it causes an HPI distress. And also you can send the packets back to them, yes. which is very environmentally friendly. So we like yeah, that also big like plus for supernatural pouches. I'll link to them in the film description below. Yeah. The other thing about them is because they're real food, they've got bits of fat and bits of protein in as well. Um, so again, it just gives that stomach and um, a little bit more, gives you your body a little bit more than just pure carbohydrate. Um, so again, I like them for that reason. And then, you know, so what I'll do is I'll have one of those pouches maybe every two hours, but every 20 to 30 minutes, I'm taking a gel or an energy drink or um, something else on board. Um, and then maybe every sort of three or four hours, I'll be taking a, more like a cereal bar type thing. Um, so I, I was using Morton um, for my, my other energy. So I was using the Morton drinks at the beginning and then at the aid station. Um, I've refilled with Morton um, drink there. And then otherwise it was just the gels uh, and a couple of their, their bars that they've got as well, just for that little bit of extra solid stuff. Yeah. Uh, that was basically it. So it's going to keep it simple. Give yourself a, a little bit of variety. So again, with the Supernatural Fuel Pouches, I had different flavours. So again, every time I was then using one of those, it was a slightly different flavour. So we just um, so you don't get that taste fatigue from just taking the same thing all the time. Um, there was one of the guys I saw that did the full spine race, uh, and his nutrition strategy was I think it was like Haribo M and M's and tin peaches or something. Oh. Uh, <laughs> That may not be 100% correct, but it was yeah, tin peaches sort of for every kind of um, checkpoint. Um, if it works, great, but I just think, you know, you're going to get taste fatigue sooner or later. And that's obviously what some people get is, you know, towards the end of the race, you maybe have food with you, but you just can't get it down because you kind of go to look at that gel and just go, oh, I can't take one of those off. Um, you're just sick of the flavour or something. Um, so yeah. And sometimes you don't know. You don't know sometimes until you actually get to like 80 miles what you're going to need. Like even if yes. you've already done a 100 miler before, it could vary from race to race. So maybe yes. take a few little wild cards as well just to go, oh, that Absolutely. Percy yeah. Pigs, excellent, I'll have one of them. <laughs> yeah, Liz, who's um, one of our nutritionists as part of the, the coaching team, uh, Liz Mahon, her husband was actually running the race as well, Lee. Um, but Liz actually did a really good post on that particular point that You've got your nutrition strategy and you've got your plan, um, but again, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Uh, or as Mike Tyson says, everyone's got a plan so you get punched in the face. <laughs> so you have your nutrition strategy, you have your nutrition plan, but you've got to be prepared for when it goes wrong. So what are you going to have if your body just goes, yeah, I don't want to eat that? 
So you've got to have your emergency kind of um, treat in, in your bag. So I had uh, had a couple of Snickers put away so that if you know if I'm just going, I just don't want to eat anything like that. I know that I'll always want to have a Snickers. So I'm yeah. just going. Um, yeah. It turns out I didn't need to take those on board. Um, but yeah, you have you have your kind of little treat or a little something just to, for when it all goes wrong and, and your plan goes out the window. Yeah, yeah. For me, that would be a boost bar. I love a boost mm. bar. There you go. Never have them in real life because they're far too sweet. But once I had one on a mountain marathon, and boy, was it good. <laughs> I'd be for fuel. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, I think does that sort of answer the questions there? Yeah. You've, you've and you've just got to try it yourself, haven't you? You've got to do your own research on that. Mm. That's the answer, basically, isn't it? But you've got to practice in training, so you've got to go out and, you know, even if you're just going for, you know, an hour and a half run or something, you think, oh, I don't need to take anything on board for that. But an hour and a half run, you could be getting through, you know, 60, 90 um, grams of carbs there um, or, or more. So try that. What's it like to actually, you know, have a meal and go for, you know, and then go out for a run? So, you know, if we're coming through an aid station and we're having, you know, some solid food, and then we're going to leave that aid station and try and run again. Well, what's that like? So have your lunch and go straight for your run. Or have your dinner and then go straight out the door and, and learn what that feels like. How long do you have to walk for before your stomach will then allow you to run? How hard can you run or do you have to really take it slowly? So, you know, one of my rules is, you know, yes, you go to the aid station, you grab your food, but then you walk out that aid station. Yeah. You're having to drink, you're eating your food as you're walking out that aid station. And then how long do you need to keep walking for before you can then start running again? So know what that is for you. Um, so that, again, you don't then stress your stomach, but you've got to train it. Mm, you've got to practice it and train yeah. it. Um, we have a lot of food chat coming in on, on the uh, live chat then. It's good. Hannah says she loves the idea of the tin peaches at the Craven Tri Club aid station um, mm. on the spine race. Um, challenge. I had rice pudding. I forgot. Yes, I did have oh, rice pudding. Yeah, slips pudding. down really easily, doesn't it? Um, and Con Lethberry says his emergency food is a blueberry muffin, which sounds really nice. I haven't had my dinner, so I'm now feeling very, very hungry. Oh, and Hannah also says, um, for anyone who's new to watching this and joining us live, Hannah has done the spine cha um, summer spine challenger at the same time as Tim did this year, back in June. Um, and she said, um, the thing that saved me was a double scoop of ice cream in Horton in Ribblesdale. That sounds lovely, because it was quite a warm, yeah. quite a warm day, wasn't it? It was, um, very, very warm. Yeah, and there is a question. Uh, I know it's really warm now as well, so it's really relevant right now if we just quickly cover running in the heat, because I've got a question from STO who says, hello, great channel. Thanks, definitely gonna answer your question. Um, do you have any advice on running in the high temperatures? I personally yeah. don't feel very motivated to do so. Thank you in advance. Mm. <clears throat> um, I should put a post out about that. Um, I think yeah. I linked to it on Instagram a couple of days ago. Yeah. Um, and there's some stuff on, on my website about this. Yeah. I mean, oh, you can, what's your Instagram handle? Um, um, just so people can look that up. HP3. Okay. Cool. Um, so. As I've just been talking about nutrition, you can train yourself to cope with the heat better. Um, <clears throat> so actually, that's something I didn't put in my, my blog, actually, for anybody that's read the blog. Um, the risk was it was going to be a very hot day. Uh, I mean, it was warm, but it wasn't quite as hot as it could have been. <clears throat> so in preparation for the race itself, I'd actually been doing a bit of heat acclimatization in terms of um, sitting in a hot bath for 
20 minutes um, after going for a run. Um, obviously, if you've got access to a sauna, then brilliant. Uh, if you've got access to a heat chamber and you can go running in a heat chamber, then brilliant. Uh, if anybody's been following uh, athletes' um, preparation for bad water, um, it's happening now. Um, you know, they've been running on treadmills with the heaters on full blast and things like that. Sounds so horrendous. you can condition yourself <laughs> to, to tolerate the heat better. But then it's about um, having, again, the right kit. So what, what clothing is going to work for you in the heat? Um, so I'll give you another example. Um, Joe, who was running with us, so um, Joe, who came in fourth, um, he's got a full sleeve tattoo, uh, or a dark black tattoo. He needs to wear a long sleeve shirt to cover that. Otherwise, in the heat, the sun warms up his tattoo. Really? That's incredible. <laughs> so you know, it's even just thinking about things like that, you know, um, the night before the race, in my, my kit bag, I had three different hats, depending on what the weather was going to be. Um, so, you know, think about all these type of things, about your, your clothing and your kit. Um, when you're actually out there, obviously hydration is a, a key factor, making sure that you're drinking enough and taking on um, salts if you need to. So, again, I've got a partnership with uh, Precision Hydration, or Precision Fuel and Hydration, as they're now called. Um, so getting those electrolytes on board. Um, you know, I... I I got dehydrated mid-race. I don't, um, those who know the race, as you're approaching this is Gary's unofficial checkpoint, the uh, Craven Energy checkpoint, um, that section um, before there, I'd run out of fluids. Uh, I, I missed a stream refill, uh, and I, you know, I got dehydrated. But I managed to sal- salvage that with uh, refilling uh, Craven Energy and getting some uh, salts back on board, and then making sure I refilled again when I went through Thornton and Craven, um, and so on and so forth. So yeah, getting your hydration right, obviously. Um, and then it's about you know, managing yourself in, in the heat itself. So if you need to cool yourself down, you know, the instinct is just try and pour water on your face or on your head. But all that does is just tricks your brain into thinking that you're cooler than you are. It doesn't actually cool your, your core temperature. So the best way to cool your core temperature is obviously cool your blood. Um, so the, a good access point for that is your, your wrists, your forearms, because you've got two arteries and two veins with very little fat and skin in between them and, and the outside. So if you cool your forearms, so plunge them into water or pour water on them and let them evaporate off, that will draw more heat out, obviously, of your, your blood and therefore your core, and you can cool yourself down better that way. So yeah, in, in the race itself, when I was passing any streams, I'll be plunging my forearms into into the water. Uh, I had arm warmers on, so sort of sleeves that I'd sort of pull down over my wrist. I would wet them, get them sopping wet, have them over my forearms, so as they were then evaporating, that was then drawing off heat and keeping me cool. Oh, and like, um, so you could put a buff around as well. Like, if you're yeah, too absolutely. hot to wear your buff, put it around your wrist yep. and dip it in. That's yeah. it, exactly that, exactly that. So if you only put it on your head, you'll trick yourself into thinking you're cooler than you really are. And, you, and then you risk actually pushing harder and actually pushing your temperature up too high. Oh, that's interesting. I've, I've um, recently, if I run, I go early in the day at the moment. And um, yesterday I ran nine miles, but at seven miles there was 
um, we planned to hit a river at seven miles because yep. two miles you can sort of run back without chafing can't you so I, I just got in the river with all of my clothes on yeah. um, and just swam up and down a bit and then I was like cold to the bones and mm. then it took me like all day to to warm up again and I mm -hmm. went swimming this morning as well for about an hour in the river and I was cold like all day because my bones mm -hmm. were cold um, and that's, yeah. that's been wonderful so I yeah. wonder if that's that is kind of extreme you can't do that on a race but does that mm -hmm. is that am I just tricking myself there or is that like full core lowering? Well that's it you, you're cooling yourself right down and obviously you know, when we look at um, other sports where maybe you've got more access to support crews um, so if anybody's watching Western States um, the other week where obviously athletes have got support crews with them at different points you know they're using ice you know ice wraps you know around their around the neck head back arms you know you name it um, using that to obviously then cool that core temperature down um, other sports you know maybe Olympic type sports you know, they'll be using cooling vests you know actually putting on a nice vest to, wow. to pull that te uh, cool that temperature right down again um, the, the forearm trick I learned from um, a, well, it was a, it was a military researcher. Um, they were looking at, um, well, his, his whole career was essentially taking Royal Marines and putting them either in very hot or very cool condition, very cold conditions <laughs> and, and working out how to break them and then how to not break them. Oh, that was his career. That was his career. Wow. Um, but he then started working with British Cycling. Um, and that was one of the things that they sort of took over was um, working with cyclists in the in the velodrome when it got very very hot and they would sit down in these essentially like garden chairs with little troughs for the arms to cool the forearms oh, yeah. and then they could get back on the bike again and perform well. Oh that's yeah. great okay so for, forearms it is then everybody forearms, cool our forearms down so I hope that helped you STO and anyone else who's running in the heat at the moment. Um, Hannah says um, what was the other question though is there anything else uh, Hannah said uh, the best way she thinks the best way to learn is by just doing things like the spine mm. race and um, she yeah. says there's so many things she'll do differently next time so we are yeah. going to hook up with Hannah actually and um, hopefully she's got some time in a couple of weeks time um, mm -hmm. because I want to find out all those things that she's going to do differently yeah, okay. um, and the other question um, was uh, it was well, we've had another one come in. I was about to ask you about the mental preparation. So this sort of ties in quite nicely, actually. So David Alonso says, where do you find the motivation during the, the bad moments? You know, like when you ran out of, um, when you missed that um, mm. fill, water fill up. Um, and you had, you said in your blog, you had a bit of a low moment at that point. Um, yeah, how do you get through stuff like that personally? And what do you recommend for all of us? Yeah, um, so is, is actions on. Um, so again, it's the military coming through, which is, you know, you basically plan for every eventuality, yeah. and you have a plan for when that crops up. Okay. So, um, so in terms of if let's use the when I ran out of water at that point there, well, the plan was right. Hold on, I haven't got a chance to refill here. So what am I need to do? I need to minimise how much I'm sweating. So I need to back off the pace a little bit. Um, I need to ration the water that I have got um, to get me to that next point rather yeah. than you know running out completely getting very dry mouth and then sort of knocking yourself from there um, hold the water in your mouth for that little bit longer don't just swallow it instantly um, so you trick the brain into thinking that you're getting more water than you really are to again keep the brain happy but you know you have a plan for that you know that eventuality happening you know I had a plan 
anything you could imagine that was going wrong, I had a plan that I would then put into place. It's again, so that it's you, there's no thinking involved. It's all automatic. So, you know, something goes wrong, you don't panic, you don't fuss, you don't stress. It just goes, okay, that's happened. I do this. Okay, that's happened. I do this. Mm-hmm. And just having that, it just takes away all that mental stress, because having to think about stuff uses up energy. Ah, so what, what if something happens that you hadn't ever thought about, like, I can't really think of anything like Aliens Land or something like that, where, like, how, how do you know that you thought of absolutely everything? Again, can you ever think of everything? No, probably not. But because you've gone through those processes of, well, if this happens, I'm going to do this, this or this, if something does crop up, it's a case of, well, just stop, pause, let's work out a solution, let's not panic, let's not... Let's not go off the rails here. Let's just stop, pause. So again, you know, if you if you haven't got a lot of experience, if it's your first ultramarathon, the the truth of the matter is something is going to go wrong. If you do something of that duration, something is going to go wrong. It's how you react to it. It's how you deal with those things going wrong, which will determine your success. Mm-hmm. If something goes wrong and you panic and you throw your toys out the pram and you have you know, <laughs> something then it might be hard to get going again. Um, but it's all right to just stop, have a little cry, sort yourself out, and then work out your plan of action to move forward, and then you just keep moving forward. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's about practicing and working through all of those different scenarios, working out what's within your control and what's with, you know, outside of your control. So some things might go wrong that are completely outside of your control. Well, there's no point in getting stressed about that. You then just got to deal with the situation in front of you. Um, and you, you mentioned at the beginning there that it was the training bit was kind of the last thing I talked about in mm-hmm. that blog because it is the least important. It's, you know, if you get all the rest of it right, that's what determines your success. Um, the other sort of mental strategies is about breaking that race down. You know, if you stand on that start line and think, oh my God, the finish is 110 miles away, or 112 as it probably turned out to be. Um, that's a huge distance. The only thing I was thinking about was getting to Snake Pass. And then it was getting to Tourside Res. And so on and so forth. Um, so in my mind, I only had the next maximum sort of 15, no, I had a 17 mile leg in my head. But that was the longest I had to think for was 17 miles. Most of them, it was more like 15, 16 miles. That was all I had to think about. Yeah, chunking. Did you call it chunking? Chunking. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a good so word. Chunking. Chunking. You break it into little chunks, manageable chunks. Yeah. Uh, it's the same with anything. You know, you, you start any huge project, just yeah. break it down. Just deal with that little chunk in front of you. Work out the processes to get you through that that little section, and then move on to the next one, and then you move on to the next one. Yeah, that's good advice. Good advice. Yeah. And, and that... the other, I mean, the other thing you said about the. Um, concentration and that sort of thing, I think was part of the question there, was music. Uh, I mean, some people don't like music, some people do. Uh, For me, um, if I can, I will have music on when I'm I'm running and racing. Um, And certainly when I then, I was away from Andy and I was just on my own, um, I just had music playing for the rest of it. Um, I'm not entirely sure how the batteries lasted, but they did. yeah, they're supposed to only last for about eight hours, aren't they? Those I know, Aerofex and I'm headphones. sure I got way over 12 hours out of mine. Wow, uh, that's incredible. Yeah, we should let them know. 
Um, Maybe it depends so, what volume you have it at. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm slightly deaf now as well, so oh, uh, I wasn't I quite loud. I, I, I <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so again, I mean, that's one of the things I just had um, 90s dance music. Again, it's not my normal uh, listening <laughs> choice. Um, Don't lie to him. Just, you, <laughs> you know, love a bit of 90s dance. <laughs> Just kind of taking me back to my, my student days and, and yeah, just danced my way down the, the Pennine Way. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I love it. In like wonky, wonky dancing. <laughs> much, yeah. um, uh, so that does lead us actually nicely on to your training because we've covered getting the shoes, like getting your shoes right. I don't think we've got enough time to go into like the rest of the gear, but basically practice nutrition, practice nutrition, mental preparation we've covered. So now it would be just really good to get in a nutshell how you trained for um, 100 miles slash 110 miles. I've put 100 miles on the film thumbnail, but you know, it attracts yeah, yeah. the it attracts the people in and then we'll break it to them that there's 10 more miles to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it was supposed to be 108 miles, but then there were diversions and it was advertised oh. at 110, but I think most people <laughs> Stravas uh, came out at about uh, 112. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Wow, well, um, extra miles for the money, hey? So tr training for it, um, I think one of the questions I was asked on, on social media was, you know, what was my weekly mileage, thinking it's going to be something extraordinary. Yeah. Um, it was probably on average about 50, maybe 60 miles a week. Oh, wow, um, that's good. Um, a lot of them were less than that. I think I had maybe one that was a bit more than 60 miles a week, um, maybe not quite 70. Uh, I had the intention of doing more, but just life got in the way. Mm -hmm. uh, so the volume doesn't need to be huge. Uh, that's a, that's Good a to know. Yeah. Um, strength training was a key component. So like getting that. to the gym. So I, again, I had a, a big block over the winter where I was in the gym at least twice a week, lifting heavy, mm. proper heavy. Yeah. Um, just getting strong and resilient, getting those tendons strong, getting the bones strong, so I could then tolerate the, the other stuff later on. Um, yeah. And again, in that final block, I was just doing a lot of muscular endurance work. <clears throat> so, you know, I'd just be going in my garage with a, I've got a big plyo box step thing, um, some kettlebells, dumbbells, weights, vests, stuff like that, um, and just doing an utter ton of lunges, step-ups, squat jumps, that type of thing. Um, just really building that, that muscular endurance um, because I, I wasn't able to get into the, the hills that much. Um, I, again, because of you know, family pressures in terms of looking after the kids and work and things like that, um, I wasn't actually able to get to the, the gym to do my normal workouts. But that was enough just to keep me ticking over. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. In terms of the actual sort of running, it's making it as race specific as possible. Um, so, luckily, I live, as, as I mentioned, sort of almost on the Pennine Way. It's only about a mile and a half to Capra, maybe two miles away. Um, but I would just do a lot of my runs on the Pennine Way. I was going out and doing recce's um, on, on the route. So, just getting conditioned to that, knowing that I could run that pace on that ground, um, and just dialing in race pace. So a lot of it wasn't fast. You know, I was looking at people around me and, and their training for this race, and you know, they were doing a lot of their runs a lot quicker than me. 
but they clearly weren't doing it on the the actual terrain of the mm-hmm. penalty. Uh, yeah, and that's that's a crucial thing as well. Yeah, it's good that you live nearby, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah. absolutely, it's a blessing. Yeah, uh, for something like this. But you know, if you can't get there, then it's understand the the nature of that terrain that you're going to, and try and replicate it as, as best that you can. Um, you know, an example would be. Um, a race I've done a couple of times in Gran Canaria, um, Trans Gran Canaria. That's yeah. another brilliant, brilliant race. Um, but I would replicate the climbs on my treadmill. So I'd work out the elevation, mm-hmm. uh, the income, and replicate that on the treadmill. <coughs> I knew some of the technical sections, very rough underfoot. And there's a hill near me with, again, some, um, some paths where the rocks are very, very similar to that. And I would just run up and down that, mm-hmm. just to reps up and down that just to simulate what it's going to be like underfoot when I go to Grand Canary. Hmm. Uh, and so you mentioned training blocks as well um, yeah. which is obviously like a thing that you do if you're um, if you know about coaching and training properly um, I'm interested to know because you are a coach do you coach yourself or do you have a coach um, who is like somebody else in HP3? Um, no, I coach myself these days. I have been coached yeah. by several people in the past. Yeah. Um, so, no, I'm, I'm self-coached now because um, managing my sort of diaries of you know, multiple diaries, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. I wear a few different hats, uh, is quite complicated. So I do have to just sort of grab bits of time as and when. And I don't really follow a um, maybe a, a traditional training pattern as such. Yeah. Um, but then I've got other people who, you know, I will go to for, um, yeah, that little bit of uh, an outsider's, in, uh, yeah, take on things and just help with decision making. So, yeah, kind of uh, Joe is one example, one of the coaches of the squad. Yeah. Um, you know, I would run things past him and, and he does the same with me. Uh, I've got other colleagues, you know, other companies who, um, again, I would, I would go to for uh, bits of advice as, as needed. Um, yeah, but yeah I, I coach myself just because my life is that uh, complicated. <laughs> Hectic, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, and I noticed though also that you were, you you do some extra things in recovery that I've not done before. Um, and I know it's becoming a bit more trendy, but you, you use those um, e-stims things. Um, yeah. and a massage gun as well um, like yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting to know because often you like see all this gadgetry and you just think oh that's a total gimmick I'm just going to do a Joss Naylor and get in the get in the beck, the river at the end of my run and cool off my legs that way or have an yeah, ice bath but yeah like um, yeah talk a little bit about how those helped you then yeah perhaps. so the complex uh, again I've got a I've got a relationship with, with complex um is that the stimulant? That's the like electro- electrical stimulation. Electrical pulses yeah, thing. The muscle, yeah. muscle stims. Yeah. Um, it's a fantastic bit of kit. It really, really is. Um, it's passive, so well, you can do other exercises where you're actually working with the electrical stim. Um, but yeah, I use use it a lot for for recovery. Because um, the end of the day, you know, you do your run, but then you know we've all got other busy lives and we're doing other things so I'll be coming back and then I'm at my desk and I'm having to to then work mm. and you just let your legs just sit there but what we really want is just a little bit of that active movement just keep those muscles just gently ticking over keeping that little bit of blood supply and the lymphatic flow going so using the electrical stim just to give those muscles just that little bit of a uh, just 
little bit of movement is, is really, really useful. Um, one of the sort of big determinants for aerobic exercise that, that we do is about how many capillaries, those, those small blood vessels that supply your muscles. And obviously, the more of those little blood vessels you have, the more of the, the oxygen and the nutrients you can get into your muscles for them to actually work. <clears throat> so again, it, it's really good at <coughs> the capillarization, actually building these, these capillaries through uh, those, those little muscle contractions um, and also some of the shear stresses, so pulling the muscles in, in different directions. Um, so it can be useful for that as well. And again, used it for um, muscle strengthening. So um, you mentioned um, earlier on there about my ankle. And yeah, I've got sort of very little left in terms of ligaments holding my left ankle together. So I'm prone to, to spraining my ankle. Um, and if you sprained your ankle, one of the problems with that is you then to damage some of those nerves and, and your ankle doesn't react quick enough to when you start to turn it over. Um, so you can use um, the electrical stim to give your muscles a really hard, really fast muscle contraction to teach yourself to actually correct that little twist that you might be starting to do. Um, so again, you know, with me, some of my, my trauma, my damage is that um, some, of, some of the muscles, particularly on my right side, don't fire quick enough. They're just a bit sluggish. The nerves just aren't very good anymore. Um, but I can use the electrical stim to really get them firing quickly. And that just kind of gets that ball rolling again. Um, and again, the, you know, the massage hammer, um, there's nothing special about it. But it feels good. Mm -hmm. It helps relax those muscles. It gives your nervous system uh, a good stimulus to help relax you down and give you some pain relief. So if your muscles are sore um, and, and tense, it's going to be uncomfortable to function day to day or go for your next run or do your next training session. You use a massage gun, you get rid of that pain, the vibrations just trick your brain, you ease a lot of that muscle tension and you feel better. If you feel better, you train better. If you train better, you can go on and perform better. So, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing magical about these things, but they work and they're good. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I think I might um, do um, order a couple in to test then, because it would be really interesting to to see how they work. And yeah, no worries. Yeah. I'll set you up. I can set you up with that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Done deal. Um, so that's training. That's recovery. Um, oh, yeah. I do. I do have one more question for you um, before we ask you what's next. Um, who inspires you? Like, because I'm looking at you and I'm really inspired. I'm just thinking, wow, Tim's amazing. Maybe I could run 100 miles one day. I haven't even been in a car crash, so I should be fine. Um, like, who inspires you? I'm not one for sort of trying to. Yeah, kind of compare with other people. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a few people who I certainly look up to in terms of the ultra running, um, and I think sort of big one up there would be Courtney, Courtney DeWalter. Cool. Um, I just think her, her sort of mental attitude to racing, just going out there and having fun, and the way that she, you know, talked about you know welcoming that pain cave and just going straight into it and getting on getting on with it i think it's just brilliant so i think you know she's she's certainly an inspiration um that i think all of us can, can look towards as well and you know she's 
obviously she's got a good background but you know when she first started out in this game she was still working full time as a teacher and, and it's just got evolved from there so um, you know, I think that's certainly one person I would look up to um, but you know I work with a lot of you know, novice and, and beginner athletes and um, you know, I, I, I often look up to what people are doing uh, at maybe the other end of the experience spectrum and, and you know other end of the field and um, all the challenges that we all have to deal with but you know some people are juggling you know, many many different time and pressure challenges um, so I, yeah I wouldn't necessarily kind of put any one I mentioned Courtney there but um, yeah, I don't really put many other people on a, on a pedestal. Yeah. It's a tricky one, really. I, I think, think we, she's I, a really good one. I pick bits of everybody. Yeah. So there's never kind of one person I just go, oh, I want to be like you. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I, I cherry pick because I want to, you know, bits of that, bits of that, bits yeah. of that. Yeah, you draw from lots of sources. I love Kelly Jouanet's ankle stability, but that's oh, never yeah. happened. <laughs> uh, it's downhill yeah. skills. You know. Oh, my God. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, I love Courtney as well because she just appears like really down to earth. Like, I know people use the word humble, but I think humble's a bit like, you know, like a bit humble bragging. I, I think she's like just, yeah, like you said, she just gets on with it. Mm. Like, she's just like, all oh, right, okay, then off we go. Oh, this has happened. Oh, okay, oh, I've got blind. Um, 80 miles into a race and I've gone blind. Oh, I'll just keep going. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's just incredible like that. Um, mm. um, uh, on the live chat, Andrea says um, lots of very interesting training and recovery info. Thank you. Um, so she's enjoying that. Um, and uh, Petra Alma also says that she swears by her massage gun. She says it really speeds up recovery. So definitely go get yeah. one of them as well. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, that's um, that's basically all the questions I had to ask you about the the ultra running and the training and the spine race. Um, so unless there's anything you wanted to add, I do have just one last question for you, Jim. I don't think so. We, we've gone over our time by quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, we have. My, my voice has lasted longer than I, I thought she was going yeah, to. Yeah, you've done really, really well. It was just, it's just been so interesting chatting to you. Um, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't leave out any of the questions. Um, but yeah, it, uh, basically, I wanted to know what's next for you in terms of the rest of 2022, or maybe even some plans for 2023 that you've got. And I'm just thinking, like, your story's incredible. Um, have you ever considered writing a book about, like, your experiences? And you know, um, I think it would be a, an amazing read. It has been mentioned. Uh, oh. Several people have said I should. I should I'll write help it. you if you want. Um, if you, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll help you with the editing thing. Yeah, maybe you could be my ghostwriter. Uh, yeah, uh, well, I don't think you need a ghostwriter, but you know, like if yeah. you need a bit of zing adding to it, yeah, or it, it uh, cutting down, you always write like I find I always write really long. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it has been mentioned. Maybe, maybe that's something for um, retirement. I don't know. Maybe I should do it sooner. We'll see. Yeah. Um, it, it's I'm the sort of yeah. I suppose that's sort of typical Brit of I don't really kind of talk about that too much the the accident side of things i kind of parked that a little bit but um you know there's there's so many people keep pushing me to kind of use that a bit more and um i, I find it so sort of slightly uncomfortable this whole sort of it's inspiring but yeah like you don't want to put yourself in the limelight and be like oh look at me yeah. i did this <laughs> like yeah. i don't see it like that though i see it as um a story that could help people like it would be inspirational <laughs> to them and it yeah. would 
yeah I think it would be very helpful and because of your like your career as a coach and a physio you would obviously be putting loads of helpful stuff in there as well as you went along the way so I don't I don't think it would be um, uh, a look at me book I think it would be a oh here's some help book that's how I see it Yeah. yeah. Let's talk more. Let's talk more. Yeah, that'd um, be great. You should talk uh, to um, yeah, what's, what's sort of what's next? Um, I've got uh, lakes in a day. Um, so that's the fifty miler uh, from the top of the lakes down to the bottom. Um, so call back to to Cartmel. Um, so that's in October. I'm toying with the idea of doing another another race this season, but uh, obviously mentioned the start I'm just getting over COVID at the moment so uh, I've ended up having a, a longer recovery after this race than I really anticipated um, and then I've got sort of family holiday coming up and things like that so um, it might be that I, I, I just focus maybe on uh, on next year and just do lakes in a day for uh, a bit of fun with again I've got uh, a few of the team coming over and um, one of the guys coming over from Sweden to race it as well so it might just be a bit more of a kind of team outing rather than a, uh, a full-on race but we'll see how the, the recovery after covid goes i'm not gonna i'm not gonna rush that recovery and, and risk any longer term stuff yeah um and then next year i've got a few ideas in my head um in terms of races um but again we need to kind of compare diaries and work out what's going to fit uh, one project i've just started working on though is um as a group of us hopefully going to go and run the hope route Oh, so brilliant. From Zermatt to Chamonix. Yeah. Uh, do that over maybe five days, try and push it into five days. Lovely. Uh, so that would be a, a good mountain adventure if I can pull that one off. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, I, I'd love to do some more stuff like that, you know, like UTMB over six days <coughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, so you're not just like gunning it and not looking at the views all the time. Um, well, we yeah. talked about when we, you and I first did some stuff together, you were supposed to be going out and actually doing UTMB over yeah. a couple of days. Yeah, and then, and then I think COVID happened, pregnant. and then I got pregnant. Yeah. Um, but I think we're just going to have one because otherwise it's going to really mess up my running. <laughs> so, so yeah, I might be back in action. You know, like I'm building up. I'm doing a couple of half marathons, so building up for um, uh, building up the distance again. Good stuff. Yeah, but that sounds exciting. Bernie's yeah. Overland. Yeah. yeah so, Maybe uh, I'll write the book in a couple of years when you've done like a few more big things um, to write listen. about. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Oh, well, it's been really great to chat to you tonight, Tim. Yeah, um, good and everyone, we've had loads of people watching live and asking questions. It's been really fun. Thank you to everybody on the live broadcast. And if you've got any other questions for Tim, um, just type them in the comments below. Um, and yeah, so where, where can people follow you um, on your adventures and, and ask you about your coaching and, and physio? Yeah, so I kind of keep the, the social stuff on Instagram. Um, so Tim Piggott, uh, HP3. So P I G O T T, um, spelling pigger. Um, so you'll find me on, on Instagram there, um, and then there's a, a team Instagram as well, which is um, at Team HP3. Uh, if you want to follow and see what uh, some of the athletes are up to in, in our squad, um, website is hp-3.co.uk. Um, so again, various resources on there and, and uh, things like that that can maybe sort of help you. Um, so yeah, that, those are the kind of places you'll you'll find me. Um, I have got Twitter, but I don't really use Twitter. Um, so yeah. Yeah, 
awesome. Okay, well I'm sure everybody's gonna be checking out the blog. Definitely check out the resources tab and then the blog and then scroll down for Tim's amazing um, race preparation and during race blog post there because that was a really interesting read. Um, and it links to the backstory as well with the car crash and um, the recovery. So yes. Okay, well, thanks so much, Tim. Um, congratulations on winning the summer's yeah, final. Good catch up, good Sega. Yeah, and um, and we shall we shall talk soon. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> cool. Night, everybody. Cheers. Thanks for chatting.